Hello and welcome to Nightlight. I want to try to unpack some things in the Lord's Prayer that I really believe will be helpful to you. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, it's funny how we say that, isn't it? Like most of the time we're not honest. Well, no, I try to be honest all the time, but I really want to be honest about the fact that whenever I hear someone who's about to speak open up a text that is super, super familiar, I immediately get bored in inside and start floundering around in my head trying to find some way to endure what I think is going to be a boring talk. And that's that's a foolish habit of mine that I'm trying to break. So I hope you don't have that habit of thinking, oh, Clay, are you really seriously going to talk about the Lord's Prayer? Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. Well, that's the problem. Uh, re- the spirit of religion seeks to, tra- to take familiar, powerful Scripture and reduce it to mere, rote, religious traditional uh, concepts and and drain it of its power, drain it of its uh, ability to help us. It's a religious spirit, it really is. It's not just, a, I don't think it's just a human trait, although that's how it starts, but it becomes a real source of, uh, of spiritual thievery. There's just a lot of things uh, that... God wants to help us learn and really take to heart. And uh, I remember years ago trying to teach some of these principles that I'm going to try to share with you today. And I made a mention of the fact, and it's a fact, it's not my opinion, it's just a simple fact of Jewish history that the prayer that Jesus responds when the disciples in, in Luke 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, they were good Jewish boys. They'd been raised to have a certain kind of uh, orthodoxy and a, a certain way of thinking. But there was something about, obviously, the, the way Jesus interacted with them and with the Father that made them ask Please teach us how to how to pray. And uh, he he said, when you pray, pray like this. And then he 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 gives an outline of prayer that you all again we all know it. So don't don't miss what I'm saying here by thinking you know what I'm going to say. Uh, but I, I, there was a kind of praying in the synagogues and in in Jewish schoolboy training that made reference to what we might call index prayers. These are prayers that have a certain order to them and a certain topic to them and a certain focus to them. You'll see in Orthodox Jewish circles when you see the the Orthodox Jewish students um, bending back and forth, you know, rocking back and forth, and they're praying. Uh, well, very, very likely they're using some of these index prayers. Now, what comes to our mind quite often is, well, we we don't want to be like like the heathen who just repeat themselves and pray prayers by rote. And it is so common to see people in some. Uh, church circles pride themselves in not having anything written down, not having any liturgy. Well, if there's a pride point in not having anything written down, what do you do with the book of Psalms, for heaven's sakes? They're they're written down, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, the, The fact is, it's very helpful to have some things committed to memory so that under duress, 
you still have access to the ability to verbalize those truths. And there's something about speaking the truth of God out loud that God wants us to be able to do. Uh, We've talked a lot about that in previous teachings on prayer, so I won't reiterate that. But anytime you feel this temptation to start doubting the worth of your prayers uh, and you start emotionally measuring the value of your prayers by your spontaneity or your uh, how how articulate you are off the top of your head or any of that, you, you end up becoming a sitting duck for the enemy to steal from you your ability to pray. You, you know, you you get you get so focused on yourself, you're not even focused on God at all. And so when when the, and and the disciples probably were suffering from some of those very kinds of maladies in their attempts to pray. I mean, it's been said repeatedly, and it's worth repeating again and again that nothing proves the reality of spiritual battle like the emotions that can hit you the moment you focus on prayer. The moment you set yourself to pray, all of a sudden your mind is assailed with all kinds of foolish thoughts or your emotions are assailed with all kinds of anxieties and confusions or your your conscience is assaulted by the last time you misbehaved in some way that makes your prayers uh, ineffective according to the legalist voice of the devil. And so Jesus says to his disciples in answer to their request, teach us how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And then here we are. We can all quote it, can't we? Depending on translation that you've gotten used to. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we just kind of zoom through it. And we're missing everything Jesus was intending to communicate when he answered them, uh, their request. I want us to stop and I want us to think clearly about what we're learning or what we have failed to learn that we need to learn from Jesus teaching us how to pray. Because it's absolutely amazing what he really sums up for us in just a few words. And that's one of the keys here. Jesus is not trying to help us learn how to be articulate necessarily. Jesus is not not interested in, in helping us learn to be uh, pious or religious at all. But he is trying to help us learn that even when we don't feel like praying and even when we don't know how to pray or know what to say, there's some basic truths that are always applicable in any given situation. I mean, any any emergency worker or soldier or policeman who loves God can tell you there are moments when the pressure of the given situation is such that your brain is too focused on the immediate emergency to be able to think clearly, to be very articulate in prayer. And it's in those times when, uh, you know, you're thankful that you can just pray by rote. There's a part of your insides that just is able to go, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, believe me, it's helpful. But I want to I want to take it out of that context and put it in more of a context of the emergency that we are in in the culture. You know, we're not a firefighter trying to get people out of a burning building or a policeman trying to stop a robbery, but we are a people who live in a culture that is on fire. 
and there is much thievery and evil afoot. And there's much struggle and battle going on inside of our minds and our hearts. And uh, if you're not careful, you get overwhelmed with those things and you just you just don't know how to pray, so you don't pray at all. And some mornings, I mean, I try to always keep my mornings safe. can't always successfully do it, but I try to always keep my mornings with the Lord. And yet, some mornings, I'm so overwhelmed by the demands of the day before, the night before, added to that, I try not to ever look at headlines when I first get up uh, because I don't want to add that to a stack of stuff in my head. But some mornings, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to start in prayer. Singing helps. You know, singing really always helps. Uh, I keep a hymn book right next to my chair where I pray and study. And sometimes uh, I'll just start the day with with a hymn, because that quiets my mind, centers my heart, and gives me a track to run on that someone smarter than me and wiser than me and more anointed than me was able to put in words that I'd then turn back up toward the Lord and uh, and somehow. God really likes that. Second Chronicles chapter 16, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking for a man or woman whose heart is turned toward him that he, uh, whose heart is perfect toward him, the King James says. Well, we always trip over that word perfect. That word perfect has nothing to do with sinless perfection. It means a heart that is not divided a heart that is not uh, pulled in too many in, in other directions. And first thing in the morning, I I want my heart to be perfected before the Lord, so I center myself in His presence the best I can. Emotions are are not to be even checked in checked with. Emotions have nothing to tell me about my true state, about my true relationship with the Father. Uh, emotions have nothing to do with it. But the good news is, as I, as I, I, I don't want to use the word discipline because that's another word that has become ruined. But as I train myself not to pay attention to my early morning emotions or lack of them or muddled mixture of them, and I just set myself to speak out loud, whether it's a song or whether it's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it, it, it gets me focused. It gets me moving in the right direction. And I set the pace for the rest of the day by doing that. So let's talk about, let's talk about these categories. Are you willing to, to look at some things you think you already know and maybe, maybe? Here's some things that will help you. Jesus' response to the disciples. I mean, I'm sitting there with the disciples. and Let's say I'm a fly on the wall and I hear them say, Lord, please teach us to pray. My ears would perk up and I would want to know, what's he going to say? But because I've heard it my whole life, because I memorized it as a preschool Sunday school kid, before I could even read, I memorized the Lord's Prayer, and that was, I guess that was good, except that by memorizing it, I stuck it into a part of my brain where it, it became just rote. And I was, I was a young man uh, under a tremendous amount of duress in my own personal life before I ever revisited that prayer and stopped and and considered what was Jesus saying to me not to the disciples but to me what was he saying to me about how he wants me to learn how to pray and so it begins our 
<laughs> now, before I say another word, yeah, the Lord's Prayer begins our. And it seems to me the Lord Jesus is saying that, Clay, the first thing I want you to understand about prayer is it's not to be focused primarily on your emotions, your needs, your feelings, your frustrations, your anger. Does he care about those things where I'm concerned? Well, of course he does. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you watchfully. But when it comes to learning how to pray, He's saying, the first thing I want you to learn to do is think in terms of the whole family. Paul says in first, uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, and then again in chapter 3, he says, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its nature. So he says, you don't you don't say my father there is a place for learning to say my father but it's not in this context it's it's in, in, in the context of our father i'm jumping ahead i'm still on the word our our you know um as a boy i was subjected to a lot of theologies that I find now not only abhorrent, but I consider them demonic. <clears throat> and one of them was the idea that God only had chosen a handful of people that he wanted to save, and the rest of them were just, uh, you know, easily forgotten. And this was all arbitrary. There was no rhyme or reason for God wanting some to be saved and others to be lost. He just, uh, you know, like Allah, you know, who knows why? Oh, I just willed it. And I remember as a boy thinking, if God doesn't love everybody, then I don't want him to love me either. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't think I thought that because I was noble and I needed to correct God. I think what I was hearing was the true heart of God who repeatedly has said in Scripture over and over and over that he is the Savior of the whole world, that he got, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten Son, that he is, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. It's not God's willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance and so Jesus is speaking to my heart as a little boy and saying, you know, I love the whole world and you don't need to buy into this ridiculous false doctrine that you're hearing. And I didn't, thank God. And I abhor it more today than I did then. Because it's not the heart of God and it's not in the Word of God and that makes it really devilish. <clears throat> God loves the whole world. And so we begin the Lord's Prayer with the prayer, Our, and then Our what? Our King, Our Creator, Our Judge, Our Lawgiver, no, no, Our Father, Our Father. Now, I'm not saying anything here now that most of you don't know who followed what I've tried to teach for years, but... I had no relationship whatsoever with my father. Very sad thing to me to talk about now. Because now uh, I have come through much cleansing and I'm also much older and have gotten a taste of what life is like in my 60s uh, and learned some of the heartache and difficulty of being older, having children and grandchildren. Uh, not that they're the source of the heartache, but I'm just saying life life teaches you some things. And so I don't have any anger that I can find. I don't have any anger in my heart toward my father uh, at all. Although the first 30 plus years of my life, there was nothing but anger. 
And uh, the word father for me was not a good word. It was not a comforting word. It was not a, a warm word. It was a word that evoked everything opposite of what is meant by the word father. So for me as a child, learning the Lord's Prayer was not helpful. Our Father in heaven. So when you put that first phrase together, our Father in heaven, it it ends up being, for me, uh, this mass religious phrase addressed to a grouchy lawgiver who can't be approached and is never the source of comfort who's way off in a place called heaven. Now, that's not very helpful. And you know, the, the the Holy Spirit didn't rush down there and protect me from misinterpretation and say, no, no, Clay, you're misinterpreting. He let me grow and walk and live, and he let me struggle, and he let me reach a place where I wanted to understand enough to be willing to Press in and ask. You shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all your heart and I will be found of you. He who comes to me must believe that I am and that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. In other words, I want to be known, but I don't want to be known by someone who is casual. I don't want you to just casually say, you know, I'd kind of like to know more about you, God. If you really want to know me, press in to want to know me, and I will respond to you. My eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone. Why am I having to look? Because to be honest, most people don't want to know. You want to know God? You want to go beyond where you are now, beyond where you've been? Are you frustrated with being stuck? Are you frustrated with uh, having no, uh, no sense of intimacy with God? How bad do you want it? Only enough to complain about it when a situation comes up that causes you difficulty? Or are you willing to press in? I don't say this to try to impress anybody. I had no choice. I had no place to turn. I had no place to turn. I had no one to turn to except the Lord himself. And I pressed in. And I wrestled through this whole struggle with Jesus and the Father. Because Jesus said in, in Matthew, uh, excuse me, in, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 21, 22, 23, he said, if you, if you obey me, if you love me, you'll keep my word. That, that doesn't mean if you love me, you'll do my rules. That's not what he's saying. He said, if you love me, you'll, you'll, you'll treat my words like they matter. And my Father will love you. And my Father and I will come to you. And we will manifest ourselves to you. And we will make our home with you. And I found that to be true. But the first 30 plus years of my life, I only would relate to Jesus. I wouldn't, I didn't want anything to do with this father thing. I wanted to know God, but Jesus was all I really was interested in knowing. The only problem with that is Jesus said he came to take me to the father. He came to get me. He was sent by the Father to get me. The Father himself loves you, Jesus says. So it's kind of funny that I know Jesus and I love Jesus and I want to obey Jesus, but I don't want Jesus to tell me anything about the Father. It's crazy. But you know what? I was crazy. I was crazy for about the first 30 years of my life. No comment on some of you who think I'm still working on that, but... 
The point is Jesus drew me more and more and more to the point where I wanted to know what other people seemed to know about the Father. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and then again in uh, Galatians chapter 4, he talks about the Holy Spirit teaching us how to say Abba, Father. Abba is just the Aramaic equivalent to our English Papa or any other number of languages that that little boy, little girl, two-syllable phrase, mama, papa, daddy, those those phrases. That's the idea that's meant to be. I'll never forget the first time I heard it. Uh, I was in Israel, and I heard a little boy crying, and he had fallen, and, and uh, between tears, he, he says, Abba, Abba, and he his soldier daddy had run up and picked him up off the off the floor off the off the pavement <clears throat> wonderful thing to see that soldier with a, a machine gun on one side of him and his his, <laughs> his little boy holding holding his little boy on the other it, it's been a vivid picture in my mind ever since of the uh, the protective power of the father against evil and the protecting, loving, gentle care of uh, his arm around his little child. But see, I I didn't have that internalized in me. Uh, All I had was this concept of father as a lawgiver and judge. And let me say here, though it's obviously not meant to be a time that we spend talking about my psychology uh, toward my father. Um, I, had no, I had no internalized memory of, of wanting my father near me. I, I, I wanted him not to be near. I was much happier when he was not home. And that was because of many broken, broken things in him and broken things between me and him and broken things in me. But I had to retrain my imagination by bathing my imagination in the truth. Uh, Biblical images, stories, uh, concepts that that were painted into my mind through uh, the testimony of other people. Like George MacDonald says, if if you're not comforted by the, the word father, because you didn't have comfort from a father, then imagine what you most need from a father, <clears throat> for that is what God the Father longs to give you, and then allow yourself to enter into interaction with God the Father on that subject. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it, that's what he's saying. And so I'll never forget trying to pray the Lord's Prayer one day, because I, I didn't know how to pray. And so I started, you know, Our Father, and I didn't get one word farther than Our Father, because the Holy Spirit just moved in on it right then and said, let's talk about this, Clay. <laughs> and so my prayer time that morning ended up being almost into the afternoon Forgive me for those of you who have to keep a schedule that won't allow for that, but the Holy Spirit that particular day took me into a long, protracted <clears throat> interaction with with him and me over this issue of my rejecting the Father. I rejected the word Father, but I rejected the meaning of the word who is himself the Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Let's talk about that phrase, which art in heaven, which is in heaven. King James English is beautiful until it's not. Sometimes it's just really a hassle. Sometimes it's pretty, like Shakespeare, but sometimes it's just a hindrance, something terrible to me. It just sounds so religious. I can't bear it. Our Father in heaven. Uh, The word heaven 
always I, I thought about doing just a, doing a nightlight just on religious phrases that we need to go back and recapture and re-sanctify and wash free of all religion, you know, like the word grace, uh, many, many other words. Rescue those words from religion. And heaven is one of those words that needs to be rescued from religion. Kingdom of heaven. Our Father in heaven. Because we've, we've been trained by a religious system for several hundred years that has misunderstood the meaning of heaven and thinks of heaven as the place you go when you die. That that's really all that this is about is getting you to get right with God so when you die you get to go to heaven. When the scriptures don't affirm that idea very much, they much more strongly affirm that heaven is coming to earth. And though you may go to heaven when you die, it's only a holding place for you to come back and be resurrected in your body and then to rule with Christ on the earth. Uh, and the redemption of the earth, the whole earth is groaning, Romans 8 says, waiting for the transformation of the planet which happens at the transformation of the sons and daughters of God. So anyway, we got a whole prayer to cover, and I've only gotten this far, but our Father in heaven should be understood, and you could amplify it this way. Our Father in heaven should be maybe thought of like this. Our Father who fills the whole universe, who cannot be contained even by the entire universe, and yet is as close to us as our very breath. That's what Jesus was saying, and that's what the disciples were understanding when he uses the phrases that, though they are very short in that language, could be amplified greatly, like the way I'm amplifying it now. But I was trying to teach this to a group when I first began to learn these principles. I was trying to teach this to a church I was pastoring, and this lady got so angry at me. She said, how dare you reduce the holy scriptures to... It's just that that religious spirit, you know, I'm telling you, religion is such a stinky thing. It tries to play like it's the smell of perfume and it's the smell of refuse. But, you know, how dare you say that the, you know, the end, I mentioned of the index prayer that I mentioned a while ago. And she said, I don't believe that for a minute. And so she didn't hear anything that I'm saying right now. She she wasn't wasn't able to hear it. So she just kind of went on praying by rote uh, out of a sense of religious obligation, I guess. I mean, I can't say what was really going on inside her head or her heart. I mean, only God knows, but she was mad at me. I think she's still mad at me as far as I know, and that's been 30 years ago. But anyway, forgive me, I'm rambling and I don't think she's still mad at me. I'm sure she's grown out out of that. But our Father who fills all the universe and beyond, but who is as close to us as our very breath. That's, That's the meaning you should have in your mind when you say our Father in heaven. Because else... Otherwise, you end up thinking of uh, a father way off up there in the sky somewhere, not close to me at all, and not involved in anything I'm going through. So no wonder you don't want to pray it. No wonder you don't want to get near it. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Now, Usually, I may start off praying on a day when I don't, I don't have much anointing on me. I'm, I'm grouchy or I'm tired or I'm troubled or you name it. 
I'm not very into praying, but I want to begin the day in the presence of the Lord and force the day into alignment with Him, not not to try to force Him in alignment with my day. One of the keys to doing that is to recognize the unmovable, unchangeable reality of who He is and not worry about the changeableness and unreality and emotional rise and falls inside of you. You anchor into Him, which doesn't change, and that anchors you. Uh, And when you say, holy is His name, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name. Um, The word name there, by the way, doesn't just refer to Yahweh, the name, but in in Hebrew, the the concept is the whole person. Uh, some people I've heard preach from Psalms, he's exalted his word above his name. Well, that's not a good translation. The idea is his word is his name. Uh, we, we use that concept in English. Uh, a man is as good as his word. Uh, that's another way of saying exalting your your word above your name. You're, you're as good as your word. God's God's holiness, His wholeness, His un- uh, unknowableness, which is being made known to you. See, we we've got all these concepts about holiness that need to be unpacked. Uh, that make God unknowable. You know, there was a concept in theology, I won't go into all the details, but it talked about the, the God behind God, that, that there is a God that is revealed in Scripture, but then there's the unknown aspect of that God that is unknowable and un... Uh, un well, that's not what the Scripture says about Himself. That's not what God says about himself. Hebrews chapter 1 says the full revelation, the final revelation has been revealed in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not holding out on you. And and so much of this concept that came in through the dark ages and down through the Reformation that still haunts people now that keeps them from prayer, keeps them from intimacy, keeps them from worship, keeps them from trusting God. Who can trust anybody? Uh, I am what you see, but there's another one of me that you can't see that's totally different from what you can see, and I'm going to spring him on you one day. Well, how would you like to relate to, to that? So, Hallowed be your name means I sa- I sanctify and and treat. See, you you enter into intimacy with God, and yet you don't do it flippantly. It's a it's a wonderful dance where you are hallowing God's name by responding to his invitation. That's really too large a subject maybe to try to, to get into, but at least maybe I, I've spoken to, to it enough to help you, any of you who have had some conflict with your idea of God in that way. Well, let's move on. Hallowed be thy name. Then, then Jesus, remember, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he's he's saying to them, I want you to to be focused on the goodness and faithfulness and availability and holiness of your Father who fills all of heaven but is as close to you as your breath. And then pray for his kingdom rule which is in heaven to come fully on the earth. I don't know how, I don't know how, just another example of religion, being weird, 
how in the world you can know the Lord's Prayer and pray the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, our prayer. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the will of God. That's the revealed purpose of God is the full character and goodness of heaven to be manifested in the earth. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth, on earth. But basically, most of us have our mind on flying off to heaven. When Jesus said, when you pray, pray for your Father's kingdom to come on the earth. And the whole flow of Scripture is in that direction. But we've got it turned around backwards with the help of religious spirits and uh, doctrines of demons, really, that have seduced us into thinking heaven is where it's at and earth is fleshly and, you know, carnal and can't wait for this terrible uh, carnal world to be burned up and we all float off in the platonic cloud in heaven. Uh, there's an, a, a wonderful, wonderful songwriter whose name I won't mention, but she's one of the greatest songwriters uh, that w- was going in my boyhood. But she wrote a song that was exemplary of this very misconception that I'm talking about. Uh, this house of flesh is just a prison. Bars of bone hold my soul. And the whole point of the song was that one of those day, one of these days those bars are going to break and death is going to liberate me and I'm going to fly away. And that's actually in one of my favorite hymns, Sweet Hour Prayer. When from Mount Pisgah's lofty sight, uh, heights I view my home and take my flight, this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. And that's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And it is valid if all you're talking about is your own personal life, but it ain't valid if that's your idea of God's ultimate purpose and plan. God created the earth to be redeemed and inhabited, and the knowledge of the goodness of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's God's intention. And so as you're praying this Lord's Prayer, you start off honoring God as father and lover and friend and presence with you, and yet you're honoring the holiness of his name, that there is nothing like him. He is not like anybody or anything. And then you're asking that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants us on earth verbalizing these requests because God is intending through our verbalizing of these statements to be training us to actually help fulfill them and then eventually rule with him on the earth when the kingdom fully comes. That's why we're being taught to pray this. Let's move on though. Uh, notice he, he's not he doesn't start off in this in this prayer with you being focused on your needs. But he is obviously wanting you to, at some point, talk about your needs. So, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day what we need for the day. It is not praying for breakfast. I mean, it's okay to pray for breakfast, but that's not what Jesus is talking about ultimately. We we think so concretely and so black and white and so literal. We, we don't get the punchline. Jesus is saying, learn how to pray every day for what you need for the day. And he's, he's obviously referring 
as any Jewish, well, well-educated Jewish kid would know, uh, uh, he's referring to manna, which only was given day by day, and would not you couldn't store manna for the next day. That's a very clear, important concept. His mercies are new every morning. I'm so glad they're new every morning because my messes are new every morning. And so I learn every day. See, every day. Father, I I love you. I need you. I want to get myself aligned with you before I try to align myself with the day. And you know what I need today. I mean, one of my favorite ways to start the day is just sing. Uh, I'll go out in the garage so I don't, I don't disturb the whole neighborhood. But uh, Matt Redmond's wonderful song, Ten Thousand Reasons, you know, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. And, uh, then he goes on and says, it's a new day dawning. It's a new day dawning. It's time for me to sing your song again. Uh, See, it's a new day. It's it's a time to sing your song again. It doesn't get now. If it if it starts getting old, if it starts getting stale, then I'll I'll change and do something else. I mean, because God's not sitting there watching to see how I'm going to perform. He's He's giving me opportunity to learn to adjust myself in whatever way I need to to him so that he can begin to pour whatever he needs to pour out to me that day. I hope this is helping. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I know how impractical it can be to teach, try to teach people how to pray. You don't, you can't teach people how to pray. They just have to pray. You learn to pray by praying. But that's why Jesus did give us for lack of a better term, an index to follow. And so I'm praying for your kingdom to come. And okay, when I'm praying for your kingdom to come, sometimes I'll walk. I'll walk around my neighborhood. I'll pray for you. For Lord, let your kingdom come in this neighborhood. Let your kingdom come in my neighbor's home. Let your kingdom come. And when I started doing that, I really. I didn't know Mary was getting the same direction same time I was because we pray together on certain things, but then we have our own private prayer time just with us and the Lord. But the Holy Spirit had really dealt with her to begin to pray for our neighborhood. And we begin to pray for our neighborhood. And I'm telling you, in the last three weeks, I start to say three months, it started, the prayer started three months ago, but in the last three weeks, we have seen amazing, miraculous, divine intervention for good in the lives of several of our neighbors. Uh, it's just been an amazing, wonderful thing. And so we're just praying that even more. So I, I'll, I'll just walk the neighborhood sometime in the morning. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done in this home and this home and this home. And of course... It's at that time that I pray for my children and my grandchildren. And, uh, you know, let your, let your kingdom come to, and then I name them. Let your kingdom come in their circumstances today. Say, so, well, what if they're not in the kingdom? Well, then, then let, let, let the kingdom come on them even more so, you know? And start being thankful and bless the Lord for what he's doing in their lives, no matter how messed up they may seem to be. Uh, this, this, this washes out so many cobwebs. Because uh, I'm telling you, if you wake up in the morning, like C.S. Lewis said, you wake up in the morning and all the demands of the day rush at you like wild animals. And you've got to learn to push them all aside and wait for that other voice that other point of view. So give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for just today. That's how your kingdom comes to us. 
just for today. And then, isn't it amazing that the Lord wants all these issues addressed? Then he says, now, forgive. Make sure there's nothing in your heart that's needing to be cleansed. Forgive us our debts. And equally, forgive those who have trespassed against us. We pray that so by rote. I'm telling you, it, it steals the meaning from, from it. I dwell on it. I ask the Holy Spirit, search me, show me. Is there any anybody I've got unforgiveness toward? And it's so subtle sometimes when the Lord will bring stuff up that is not deep-rooted like between me and my father or some enemy from the past. But it might be some recent conversation where I've had some conflict with a person, uh, maybe not a heavy conflict, not a big conflict, but just I've got a little bit of an attitude that I've picked up toward them. The Lord won't let me go on with that attitude. You know, it's really really important, folks, uh, now that we are entering into such open spiritual warfare and a lot of evil is being manifested and being stripped naked for what it is and lots of people are being shown what has been there for years and years, but it's being manifested now in a way that uh, self-deceived, comfortable people are beginning to have their their world rattled, and it, it's a necessary shaking, needful shaking. It's very important as we see that shaking uh, increasing that we don't become embittered, judgmental, uh, and all the other negative, self-righteous attitudes that can attach. I'm talking to me. You know I'm talking to me. But I'm talking to all of us also. Because we're not going to be of any use for redemptive purposes if there's uh, any uh, anger or revenge or holding of a grudge against anybody, even those who are in high-profile positions who are obviously treacherous, evil, betrayers of the nation, betrayers of righteousness, uh, killers of children, uh, even them. God does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but that they repent. That's the only pleasure God gets is when there's repentance. And we are to be like him. Okay, uh, and then it goes on, and I'll bring this to a close, because we can dwell on each one of these sections for hours, actually. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I, I I don't understand how people who can read, especially religious leaders, get all tripped up on the language. I remember a few months ago, uh, some about the Pope trying to make a, dir- uh, make a change in the text because uh, lead us not into temptation was confusing. I mean, it's just silly. It's silly. Anybody with just a little tiny bit of understanding should know that's not Jesus saying, you need to pray that the Father won't sneak around and trip you up and lead you into sin. I mean, that's too stupid to even spend time talking about. The word temptation there should maybe better translated keep us from the hour of trial. The idea there is not temptation only referring to sin, but it, 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 it's translated that way and trying to keep the succinct pattern of, of uh, you know, shortcut phrases that you can remember easily. Index. It's the index. But hopefully you'll, we all have enough sense to go beyond the index and, and see 
you need to pray that you will that the father will providentially arrange the circumstances of your life so that they don't lead you into an unnecessary time of great trial and we are in a great place to pray that prayer right now as a people it's not that we're praying to escape confrontation with reality or confrontation with truth standing speaking the truth standing for the truth it's uh but it's actually dealing with uh, i remember an illustration i heard a pastor give one time it was really a good good illustration on a basic level he said you know a mother who goes in the grocery store and she's pushing her cart around and she's got a little child in the cart uh, and she realizes she's got to go down this aisle, but it'll take the child right through the candy section. And she knows that's going to create a lot of problems with his or her attitude. So she does not lead that child into temptation. Uh, she goes the farther, harder, longer way around to keep the temptation down. Okay, that's that's... Uh, that's acceptable. I mean, that's that that's viable. But I think the Lord Jesus is teaching us something far more important here than just that. He's saying, pray that God will sovereignly, providentially, guide the circumstances and interactions and decisions of your life so that the ultimate outcome of it will be that you are able to avoid unnecessary conflict and battle and struggle in which unnecessary suffering could occur. That's that's what he's saying. God, don't you think that's a good prayer? I think it's a great prayer. And then he goes even beyond that to the final phrase, deliver us ultimately from evil. You are to be praying for the kingdom to come, the will of God to be done on the earth. You are to be praying for daily needs to be met in the process. You are to be praying for wisdom to make sure you don't have any sin in your life and you don't have any unforgiveness in your life and you have forgiven those who have hurt you and you're not holding a grudge. And that sets you up for you to be able to pray the next part of the prayer don't don't let me go into the hour of trial unnecessarily and then ultimately that will eventually bring us all to a point of being delivered from evil and when this is happening in the lives of all the people uh of the body of Christ uh will be actually whether we realize it or not birthing the, the fullness of the kingdom in the earth. Well, I hope this helps a little. This, uh, To me, this is a prayer for our, our present circumstances. This is a prayer for our present conflict. I think you can relate to that without me trying to unpack it for you. You need to be praying daily for what you need for the day for your loved ones, for the kingdom to come fully in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your kids, in your friendships, in your interactions, in your business. You pray for the kingdom to come more and more and more. You pray for daily needs, day by day, so that you don't try to stack up manna, uh, but you every day are dependent on the presence of the Lord and acknowledging it. <clears throat> and then you begin to trust him to give you wisdom to circumnavigate around unnecessary conflicts where you would be tempted to operate in uh, less than kingdom wisdom. And ultimately, no matter how bad things get, you pray, deliver us from evil. Break the power of this evil off of our nation, off of our family, off of my, my, my personal life and fully eventually off of the earth. 
Well, Father, I pray for every man and woman in the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will take what I've tried to unpack here and take it way beyond what I've been able to do and unpack it for the individual needs of every person who's listening. And do, Father, keep us from the hour of trial and deliver us ultimately from the evil that we have tended to ignore until now by your chastising grace we are no longer able to ignore and help us rise above it to bring forth the purposes of your kingdom through it in Jesus' name. Thank you all for listening. God bless. Bye-bye.